I know you have heard this before. Work smarter, not harder. Ford has heard it too. That's why the Ford F-150 truck helps you get the job done in the smartest way possible. I mean, the pro-access tailgate alone is a game changer. It improves access to the bed and cargo, which makes it easier to load in tight spaces. See? Smarter. It's also got a mobile power source and pro power on board, so you can power up to 7.2 kilowatts outside your F-150 truck. That is definitely working smarter. And imagine what you can do with that power at your next tailgate party. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. The Jericho Network on Westwood One. All right, we've got a controversial guest on Talk is Jericho today, a longtime friend of mine from Mexico and Japan, WCW and WWE, Bill DeMott, was the head trainer of the WWE Performance Center down in Orlando, helped to start NXT, and a few months back, in light of some allegations that came out and a lot of controversy, he resigned from World Wrestling Entertainment. We're going to hear what happened from his viewpoint, how he's been dealing with it. If he ever sees himself back in the WWE in any capacity, with my experiences, Bill has been a good guy and a longtime friend of mine, and I want to hear his side of the story. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. I'm the king of the podcast world. And you're my podcast queen or king. The remedy for boredom has arrived. The People's Podcast is here. And guess what? It's Friday. Always puts a smile on my face. Today, I got a huge, huge show. It's the 151st episode of Talk is Jericho. Thank you so much for being here. I was going to announce that it was the 150th uh, last show with Mark Tremonti, but I forgot. So we're heralding that now. A uh, huge, huge week, of course, with, with Mark. And then now with Bill DeMott, uh, an old friend of mine for many, many, many years, has always been there for me, always there for a laugh, and also was very close with my gang of friends back in WCW that consisted of a lot of guys that aren't with us anymore. Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, uh, Chris Canyon, a lot of guys like that. You know, um, Always was, uh, was, was a good guy, very straightforward guy, very honest guy, good-hearted guy. And uh, ended up being the head coach of the WWE Performance Center. And a lot of uh, allegations were directed towards him. Now, I never trained with Bill DeMott. Okay, Bill DeMott was never my trainer, was never my boss. So I'm not saying that those allegations never happened. But um, innocent until proven guilty and a friend is a friend till the end. So I wanted to give Bill a chance to tell his side of the story. And I'm sure a lot of people will get mad at me. And will flame me for giving Bill a chance to tell his side of the story. Guess what? I really don't care. This is my show, 
And I stand by my friends. And whether they were right or whether they were wrong, I believe Bill uh, has enough of a good heart. And we've got enough of a, of a history to know that I wanted to give him a chance to, like I said, I keep saying it over and over, give his side of the story. We never really heard any of that. And the only reason why Bill even did this interview is because he and I are, are, have been good friends for, for a long, long time. And I'll be honest with you, it was nice to sit down and chat with him and, you know, guilty, innocent, a little bit of both, as he even admits in this show. Some of the things he did maybe weren't the smartest things that he could have done. And maybe some of the things he did, he would take back. But they were his decisions that he made. And he stood by them. And when the heat came down, he resigned from the WWE rather than give NXT and the Performance Center a black eye. He loves this business. He loves the Performance Center. He loves um, uh, NXT. And when it came down to it, he took himself out of the game rather than to provide this uh, make you know make this become a black eye uh, in the WWE when it has such a, a huge upside so there's a lot of guys in NXT and a lot of guys in the WWE now that owe a lot to Bill DeMott and there might be a lot of guys that that, that think Bill DeMott's a, you know a piece of crap for the way that they that he trained I don't know like I said I wasn't there all I know is I always treat people how they treat me treat me and uh Bill's been a good guy for many 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 years so he will tell uh the events as he sees them and he's only doing that here on Talk is Jericho. So he's also a really funny guy. He's got a very contagious laugh. And speaking of contagious laughs, my Comedy Central digital series, Nothing to Report, racking up the laughs and racking up the views. Thanks to you guys. Well past a million views. Hopefully, fingers crossed, on our way to make more episodes. If you want us to do more, watch the, the show. Six bite-sized five-minute episodes. Uh, and if you have seen them and you like them, tweet uh, at Comedy Central and tell them you want more. Hopefully, we'll get more. It was a great experience, a great time, and very, very funny stuff. Really, really enjoyed doing them. Uh, and I'm also really excited about doing Tough Enough starting June 23rd. The 40 final contestants are now whittled down to basically uh, the final few. So, and I saw them. And uh, uh, like I said, it was a great experience. I'm very excited. I'm jumping in with both feet. And there's some there's some real diamonds in the rough, as you can expect. Some real characters, some real controversial characters. And it all takes place in Orlando every Tuesday night on the USA Network, hosted by Chris Jericho. And that's me. Uh, hey. So uh, I'm getting really busy, as a matter of fact. Starting, let me see, June 19th until about July 5th, which is a two-week span, I'll be in a different city basically every day. I think in those 14 or 15 days... I'll be in 12 different cities. So I got a lot of stuff coming up. I'll explain all of that as it's coming up. But um, I had a f great three weeks of real vacation time, hanging out with the family, hanging out with the friends. And I went to Atlanta on Tuesday to see the Rolling Stones. Now, this is the third time I've seen the Stones in the past year and a half. I saw them when they did the last tour in 2013, one time with Wise Cousin Chad and Toho, another time with Ash the Fish Expert. And this time I flew to Atlanta and went with the Duke of Metal, uh, Rich Ward, guitar player in Fozzie and uh, one of my best friends and my partner in crime for over 15 years. So I thought it'd be cool. Rich had never seen the Stones and I was like, dude, you got to go. You, you know, I convinced him to go see The Who uh, a few months ago and now we went and saw the Stones together. And I'll tell you what, you know, I, I get there and it's been a while since I saw a, a show in a stadium. Um, a rock show. I, I, I was thinking back about it. I saw U2 in about 97 on the Pop Mart tour in a stadium. I saw them again on the 360 tour 
back five, six years ago in Tampa. First one I saw in Edmonton. So if you were there, props. Then I saw the police in Edmonton also uh, in, when they did the reunion tour. And then I saw Paul McCartney. I think in about 2010 or 11 in a stadium in Miami. So other than that, those are the only stadium shows I've been to for rock shows. And I was like, it's really cool that there's still some bands that can play stadiums, rock bands, because now it's mostly country. I'm mean, one direction did a stadium tour. And now we got ACDC doing the stadiums and the stones doing the stadiums. And I was a little bit surprised because the last tour that I saw them on in 2013, they just did arenas, but this time they went for broken and busted it out into the stadium. So always a little bit of a vibe, kind of a cool, I got there early because Atlanta's notorious for crazy traffic. I went and saw my boy Flacco Martinez at all or nothing tattoo. I uh, got some extra work done on my Jason Voorhees mask with the Winnipeg Jets logo on it and my Canadian flag, uh, which looks very, very cool. Got that finished up, got the detail done on that, and then went over to the stadium, got there a few hours early and just kind of hung out, you know, as part of the tailgate party. Now, not to sound like a jerk, but I get there, and, of course, a lot of people know who I am. I'm taking pictures and stuff. So I just kind of went off into uh, one of the back streets by where one of the radio stations was set up and just listened to some Stones tunes and talked to a few really cool people and, uh, they had a dude there playing acoustic guitar, all Stones tunes. So it just really reminds me of like kind of those cool days when you were a kid. And you'd go to the show and you'd hang out for a bit, and everyone's wearing the Stones outfits and Stones uniforms and Stones shirts and listening to nothing but the Rolling Stones. And so I met Rich there. We went inside, and I had bought tickets on uh, the floor. And it's really funny. There's a friend of mine who calls me Prom Date, and she—I'll tell you why she calls me Prom Date in a second. She works uh in the backstage area setting up dressing rooms and kind of as a backstage pa uh, for metallica and for the rolling stones yeah exactly i was like what you two wasn't hiring you didn't want to work for the three biggest rock bands in the world just two was enough so she's from toronto her name is foster and she's an awesome awesome girl she calls me prom date because in 1990 before i left winnipeg to go to calgary I went to the prom with this girl called Judy. And Judy subsequently moved to Toronto and became a lesbian. So I did not turn her. We never had sex or anything like that. I just went with her to her prom. But she came. She became part of the, like, the lesbian scene in Toronto. So there's a lot of, of uh, other girls that she hangs out with. And Foster is, is also a, you know, a lesbian. And Judy and her became friends. And Judy told her the story. So now everybody in the Metallica camp calls me prom date. Everybody in the Slipknot camp now, because Corey Taylor found out about it. Now he calls me prom date. So I got all these dudes call me prom date. So anyways, Foster always hooks us up and uh, she got us VIP passes and that sort of thing. And I'd like to be able to say that I went backstage and partied with the Stones. Fortunately, I didn't. Uh, it was not a VIP backstage thing. The Stones are, are far beyond doing meet and greets. It was more of just a room where you can go there and act like a hot shot and whatever. But we didn't mean Rich didn't even go. We just saved the passes. But uh, I did get to meet Keith Richards a few years ago uh, at the Jimmy Fallon show, which is a whole other story that I'll have to tell you uh, another time. But uh, there's a picture online. If you Google Chris Jericho and Keith Richards, you'll see it. Very, very cool stuff. So anyways, you get there. And I, I was wondering how the, how the attendance would be totally sold out. Bobby Dodd Stadium in Atlanta. I mean, this place was packed. I think it holds 60,000 people. And there was probably 59,999. Like, it was that crazy. And, of course, you know, when the show starts... And they start with Start Me Up. They get a little bit of the entrance video, and then it starts, and they walk out there. And, man, there is nothing like seeing the Rolling Stones. And they've got a few dates left on this on this leg of the tour. And if you got a chance, 
and you're a music fan in any capacity, whether you're just a, 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 a average music fan or a huge music fan or whatever the case may be, you got to see the Stones. I mean, they walk out there and they've all got these super cool clothes and it's Keith Richards, Ron Wood, Charlie Watson, of course, Mick Jagger, who is the greatest frontman of all time. So entertaining, uh, sang great at 72, worked the crowd, danced all over the place. Uh, just amazing. Like just costume changes, like everything rock and roll should be is the Stones. You know, and and they, they'll do like, like the tightest, tightest song, like Can't You Hear Me Knocking, which is kind of an obscure tune from, from Sticky Fingers. Then they go into You Gotta Move, which is just this really dirty blues song, just acoustic guitar and Mick. Sounds great. Keith plays great. And then Mick leaves the stage and Keith does Happy. Uh, he sings and sings. And like halfway through, like has no idea what's going on. Like he totally train wrecked it. And he's laughing. He knows. It's like, you know, what was I thinking? What was I doing? And it's like this, this, controlled chaos of the stones where even now you never know when it's going to go off the rails is is brilliant it's it's the best most magical thing and then right after keith train wrecks happy they come back out and they do midnight rambler and it's like the tightest song you've ever heard in your life so they go to both extremes you know and it was just it was so much fun just watching rich enjoy it because he'd never see the stones before and you know there's so many catchphrases and songs you know simply for the devil ooh, ooh. Hoo, hoo, like the whole stadium. Hoo, hoo. And I've never really been a Sympathy for the Devil fan, but that was one of my favorite numbers of the night. Midnight Rambler, always great. Huge, huge uh, song of mine that I love. Can't You Hear Me Knocking was amazing. You Gotta Move. Uh, Miss You, always cool. Gimme Shelter was, was, oh, Gimme Shelter, so good with Lisa Fisher on, on backup vocals. You know, her and Mick singing it and, it's only rock and roll, but I like it all down the line. Tumbling Dice is, is such a great tune. So, uh, really, really cool stuff. I know this is probably pretty uh, deep Rolling Stones talk for the majority of you, but uh, I don't care. Like I said, it's my show. And it was uh, sad to not see uh, Bobby Keys with them. He was their saxophone player for like 40-odd years, just passed away recently. So they had a couple other guys taking his place, but still the the, the core group of, of Charlie, Mick, Ron, and, and Keith was incredible. Those guys are so good, and they're, they look great. And like Mick is just insane. Like I said, like he's an inspiration to to me. Like when I'm 72, that's gonna be me. I'm gonna have like a 25 year old's body and a 70 year old face. But I'm gonna be cool. I'm gonna be hip. I'm gonna be rocking. I'm gonna be singing songs. I'm gonna be dancing. There's this one part in Midnight Rambler where Mick just started losing his mind. Just this crazy dance routine. It was just like ah, oh, that's gonna be me, guys. I'm just telling you right now. If you're feeling old, you don't have to, because the whole attitude of the world has changed due to the stones due to mccartney due to these guys like springsteen is mid 60s they go out there paul stanley mid 60s looks better than he ever has entertains better than he ever has these guys have changed the rule book of what is old like if you look at a 65 year old man or a 72 year old man you know he's gardening and can barely move and then you got this other 72 year old man who's commanding a stadium stage and every girl in the place would have had sex with him. I don't care if they were 18 to 80. You know, he's got that power. And rock and roll started in the 50s, and the Stones came out in about 62, 63. And guys like the Stones and McCartney and those type of guys, they still act long, young. They look young. they got this youthful attitude. And it's changed the world. Once again, they changed the world in the 60s with 
all the way that pop culture changed around the style and the fashion and the music. And now they've done it again with changing the cultural fabric of what exactly is deemed to be old. Before, 40, done. Lordy, lordy, look who's 40. Ah, you're old. Now, it's like 40, not even the new 30. 40 is the new damn 20 because 70 is the new 50. And 50 is the new 30, and I don't know what the hell I'm talking about, but I do know that when I'm 72, God willing, if I make it to that age or make it past there, I will never use, uh, lose the youthful attitude that I have, uh, that Mick Jagger has, that Keith Richards has, and you will never hear me say, I'm too old for this, or I'm too old, or I'm old. I don't feel old, and at 44 years old, I go to a Stone show, and the 74-year-old drummer, 30 years older than me, Two and a half hours of playing rock and roll music and not missing a beat. Charlie Watts is one of the greatest rock and roll drummers of all time, even to this day at 74 years old. Think about that. 74. How old is your grandma? I'm talking to you, uh, Cindy Lou in, uh, in, in uh, uh, Mahemany Falls, Wisconsin. How old is your grandma? Right? 70, 73, 74. How old is your grandfather, Chuck, in Detroit? You know, think about that. Your grandfather is Mick Jagger. And you'd be like, oh my gosh, Like I am not even close to being middle age at 44 because Mick Jagger is just hitting middle age and he's 72. So anyways, if you get a chance to see the Stones, they call them the greatest rock and roll band in the world and they are right, okay? Do I have other bands that I like better? Of course. I love Iron Maiden. I love Kiss. I love Metallica. I love the Beatles. But the Stones... Longevity-wise, diverse, diversity-wise, chemistry-wise, you can't beat them, even to this day. Go see the Stones, man. Ladies and gentlemen, the Rolling Stones. That's their intro. Jess the Body Ventura said that he gave that intro once. And I, last night when they said it, I got, uh, I got goosebumps. I'm getting goosebumps talking about it. And I'm getting goosebumps thinking about Bill DeMott coming up. All right, there are some seriously talented luchadors in AEW, and not all of them speak English which can make putting together matches a little challenging sometimes. That's why I signed up for Rosetta Stone. I'm learning Spanish, amigos. Hey, amigas. See? Already learning. Haha. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You don't even have to learn Spanish, though, because Rosetta Stone has 25 languages, including French, German, Korean, Arabic, and Polish, and Japanese. That's what I'm going to do next. I spent a lot of time in Japan, and I still work with a lot of Japanese wrestlers at AEW, like Takeshita. So having a better hand on the language will definitely show in the ring. Communication is key. And learning Spanish on Rosetta Stone has been so fun and easy. They've got this true accent feature that gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. Sort of like having a personal trainer for your accent. I'm using the app, but you can also do the lessons on desktop or laptop. I also like that I can download the lessons and do them offline, which is perfect for a plane. I can sit there on a flight and work on my Espanol. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Talk is Jericho listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash Jericho. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash Jericho today. That's rosettastone.com slash Jericho. Do it today. Talk is talk is talk is Jericho. Okay, so I'm here uh, halfway between Tampa and Orlando in the same hotel where I had an illicit uh, meeting with Cesaro a few months ago. And this is my place where I come to meet with hot big guys. 
and I'm here with uh, with Bill Demott right now. I feel dirty right Isn't now. It funny, I'm it's... second to Cesaro. <laughs> so like I told my wife, I'm going to go meet Bill in a hotel between Tampa and Orlando. And I, I come in here and I tell the lady, I'd like a day room, please. She's like, Oh, what have you got going on? I'm like, Oh yeah. And there's a yeah, there's yeah. a big round <laughs> sweltering guy walking up into your room, and she goes, I got it. Like, okay. it but it's it, it's funny because it, another thing is too, it's like we always talk about each other like hey, how you doing fatso how you yeah. doing chaboots how you yeah. doing chubby and you're still living up to your name you're still as chubby as ever yeah i'm just that's it i'm i'm like the charles barkley of <laughs> our generation that's it you know and there's only there's only four guys who can get away with calling me that and you're you're three of them but yeah well that came from the from the chubba bubba's yeah which was our gang in 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 wcw the most ridiculous group of uh it came from uh so Johnny Grunge, yeah, it was Johnny. who had no business calling anyone chubby, <laughs> called everyone chubby, and you know, so right. him and him and Teddy were running, and we all came from the same place, and by the time we all were in WCW together, and then it was just the running thing was he would call everybody chubby, so then it just became the Chubba Bubbas, and <laughs> some he had he had some fan make the hats, and then we had shirts, and it was you and. <laughs> Eddie and Chris and Chavo and Johnny the most, Teddy. The, the only two chubby guys in it were me and Gr- and Roadblock. Ro- yeah, Big Joe. Big, and I, I spoke to Big Joe not too long ago. He's doing. He's a grandpa. The whole thing up in <laughs> Rochester still. But we had no business calling anybody else chubby. But <laughs> yeah. we were. I mean, if we all. If we all wanted to pursue, we'd probably been the toughest biker gang in, in yeah. Florida at the time. You, the, the, you know, it, it's funny. The, the, um, we would all stay. Uh, in or uh, Kissimmee because yeah. we used to do the tapings down in Orlando and we stayed at I can't remember what the name of the place was but the bar was called Pineapple Pete's Pineapple Pete's was the greatest thing <laughs> since sliced bread <laughs> I tell it now but I lived here during the tapings I lived in Titusville so it was a 20 minute ride right and we do the tapings and I'd be gone for five days and I'd be at Pineapple Pete's all five <laughs> days <laughs> so uh, you know yeah it, it was funny too because um i remember a couple times we'd go to because because grunge was like the the, the party guy he He's always had ringleader. action going yeah. on and i remember one time he uh he had some 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 girls he was trying to hook me up with and i was not into it at all so i pretended that i was so drunk that i passed out <laughs> and i remember you you took me out of there you carried me out of the room <laughs> And you were like, I know you're not passed out. I'm like, I know I'm not, Billy. Get me the hell out of here. <laughs> that was the only way to get out <laughs> yeah, of that mess because grunge could get you in a situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, we're, Pineapple Pete's is the only place I saw Mike Enos park a car in the lobby. He went <laughs> right through the doors. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the people, we spent so much time and so much money there. Yeah. They didn't even get hot. They just left us they alone. Just, yeah. Th- there, get the car. Is everybody okay? And we're like, how does this happen? <laughs> so then you run into these, you know, uh, Robbie Brookside and I were a yeah. little ways back. We shot you a message, and Robbie talked about the the tape he had for you in Germany. You had the greatest reply ever. So we started on the way back from a show. We started driving around trying to look for those places, uh-huh. and he's like, "Where's that place?" And Pineapple Pete's came up, so it's it's embedded in uh, Florida wrestling. <laughs> and I don't even remember what the name of the hotel was. It's probably changed a bunch of times. I have no idea. It could have been a, but, I don't know. What yeah, it was. it was like like a Super Eight or something yeah. like that. But I remember when I went there because it was one of my, my first real experience with WCW was going to the tapings. Uh, the whatever it was called, the 
universal taping universal or, yeah, yeah whatever it was so I didn't know anybody, I and mean, you were one of the only guys that I knew from from the brief time that we knew each other from Mexico and Japan and stuff. So I remember we, everyone was like, "Go to Pineapple Pete's," and Haku was like, "You got to stay at Pineapple Pete's." And uh, I woke up in the morning at like eight in the morning because I didn't know what time we were supposed to be there. I didn't know where to go. So I remember I was calling you. I was calling uh, probably pre cell phones. I was calling your room. Yeah. I was like, "Can I speak to Bill Lamont?" And there was no answer at your room at eight o'clock. And I was like, did I miss the, the shuttle? I don't know what I'm doing. Bill's got to help me. So I finally called you again, and you answered the phone at like 10 to 9. And you're like, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, hey, where are we supposed to go? You're like, yeah, we're leaving in 10 minutes. We had to be there at 9.15. We left at 9.05. Yeah. And I was flipping out because I was like, don't you guys get up early? Like, oh, no, forget that, man. Just get there when you get there. It, it all changed when we came to – Yeah. that's what changed for me with WCW, right? The, right. Because Japan, you're early. Mexico, you're you're just yeah. always on time. That's the way we were brought in, and we got here. And it didn't take me long to adapt to that either. Yeah, of kind of like just the lackadaisical. Yeah, just because get there when you get there, you, the sense of urgency, and you were still there mm-hmm. before everyone else. And the right, the running thing, if you remember, was if your name was on the board, half the roster disappeared. You didn't yeah. see him again till tomorrow, but. That's right. It was crazy. And that was a crazy time, too, because, like you said, there was probably 60 – like, WCW had the biggest roster, okay? And there was probably, I don't know, 150 guys on that roster. Easy, and yeah. 20 of those guys were the NWO, Hogan's, Nash's, Hall's. But those guys would never come to the tapings right. in Orlando. It was just all the rest of us idiots. And <laughs> – <laughs> and we would be in the Disney downtown Disney area yeah. for like two weeks. Yeah. And it would just be like, okay, we do our shows during the day and get back, shower up, go swimming for a bit and go straight out. Eight tracks. Eight tracks. <laughs> Which was a disco bar in the middle of downtown Disney. That was full of a bunch of hooligans. Yeah. And it was us. <laughs> we kind of owned, we did, we owned when we were down here. We were, yeah. we ran wild. I just passed, uh, on the way this changed and it just became a uh it's a hooters now but what was the name of that one on i4 bahama beach club maybe B- baja, beach, baja club. beach club that's it and yeah. that was the other stomping yeah ground, right so it's funny to watch it all and, and going back to robbie we pass it and go what's that and he's I'm like that was it and he goes no yeah because we had a, it was our we had a great gang uh, yeah. of guys because we were kind of like group. the 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 b team guys that worked all the shows <laughs> so- and all hung out and, and yeah, all that sort idiots. of stuff. Yeah. We worked every show. I remember um, being at 8-Tracks, and I saw Terry Taylor and Kevin Sullivan were there. And they were like the bookers. They were the bosses, basically, when Bischoff yeah. wasn't around. And we had stayed up all night you know, with some illicit substances involved. And I remember seeing Terry, and I'm like, I don't think this is going to work out well for me. You know, I hope that they don't pay for this the next day. And of course, I get there the next day after going to bed at like seven, waking up at you know eight fifteen, going down. And I was on all four shows. You're working, yeah. You're working every show. Yeah, nine thirty, eleven thirty, one thirty, two thirty. Yeah. <laughs> I used to. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, and you and you actually had known Sullivan for a while, and I remember he asked you when you to, to come to WCW. It was his quote that he it's asked a, the most ridiculous, but it go, just goes back right to the to the legend. It was the Vader and Orndorff had their falling out, and I just finished. I was finishing up in Japan. He picked up the phone. And he said, "You still wrestling? Yeah. You still fat? Yeah." <laughs> and he, he there was a ticket waiting for me to go to Macon, Georgia, and that was the beginning of 
you know, so I, I learned early on not to. I was never offended by the fat. And like <laughs> my my like Lacey says, it's pH eighteen. I said, no, it's not. It's fat. Yeah, right. It's, it's round, but I'm I'm a good big round. So, well, because you're always really agile, even yeah. though you were you were a big you know ch- chubby guy. I don't look I don't look flexible to the to the normal person. <laughs> But yeah, it's 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 funny because you know I remember actually I mean you you had traveled around quite a bit before you got to WCW yeah. in Japan. I remember the first time we met was on the rooftop Mexico City. in Mexico City of a of a newspaper. Yeah, and it was just a brief meeting because you were working for one company and I was working for the other. And it, anytime you saw a foreign guy, it was like, "Hey, what's up?" Buddy? Yeah, yeah, How you their doing? friendly face. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and then three months later, I'm doing triple shots with vampiro and you're taking off bowling with haku and i'm going I, I don't, what happened on the roof <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's it that was 90 93 93 if you can believe it yeah so that's one of the reasons why we're talking today is because we we, we had met so long ago and we've been you know great friends yeah. for many years and even if we don't talk to each other for a while it's always a friendly face we, you know yeah, we never miss a beat right yeah. and then now all the all, you know there's a lot of controversy over the last six months based around bill demott yeah to where you know you were you were you were running the whole nxt basically the system yeah system. the whole performance center kind of thing and did this start when you were in were you in fcw yeah i, I came in and i came in with uh Paul, maybe uh, 2011 is when I came back. After Paul the being last Triple t- H? Triple H. Right. After the last Tough Enough, mm-hmm. we had met in Nashville. I drove up and met him in Nashville. And it's funny because, you know, you walk in in a suit and people, what the hell is he doing? Yeah. Especially me in a suit and people, oh, you know, clearly in wrestling, if I'm in a suit, something's not kosher. <laughs> but we met then. We discussed coming back. And I was, an, you know, I was an agent. Mm-hmm. I came back as an agent for a little over a year. And in that time... Catching up to what I'd missed the the couple years I was away from the company. And then in between, I'd be flying back to Tampa and FCW and kind of watching, mm-hmm. seeing what they were doing. And then, you know, taking my notes and my direction was, look at it. Tell me what you think. How would you change it? What do we need to do? Because eventually I see you going down there and taking over. And eventually happened, like, really quick. You know, mm-hmm. It led into... so. Just right away from FCW, led in fast forward to conversations with uh, Triple H about the Performance Center and what his thoughts were, and I'm thinking to myself, the guy's the guy's crazy. Like as what far he's as his saying, vision, the vision was cool. I mean, I was there. I'm like, cool, and to be in on the on the ground level with him, talking with him about it, and and some of the other executives are sitting in and giving your opinion, and you know how training it would affect it. It was awesome. You thinking, well, you know, it's like never going to happen in our lifetime. It was like spaceships mm-hmm. as far as, you know, <laughs> the opening conversation. And it started to happen, and we started looking at the places where he was interested, and we, we found the Performance Center and, and just spent from that minute on. It was 24 hours a day of what do we need? What do we got to do? How do we do it? How do we, how do we get 100 cats in there? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it started in FCW, and it just – turned into what it is now so it's pretty because you pretty you, cool you, you mentioned how you'd done the original tough enough like 10 15 10, 12 years well the ago. original was i think the the first season it was taz okay and al snow i couldn't tell you who the girl somebody was. else right then the second year was taz bob holly and al snow and i couldn't tell you who the girl was 
and we were in, I think we were in Toronto, and we were working, and, and uh, big John Gaborik pulled me aside and goes, you interested in training? Because I've spent all my time, even pre-shows, in the rings with the younger cats. I just wanted to wrestle. I wanted to right. do things. I wanted to break a sweat. I didn't, I didn't mind. Because you, you had come from WCW in the original like, invasion. Yeah. And, and when, they, when Vince bought WCW, you came over in that group. the original group. Yes. That sat up in the silhouette skybox. Right, because, at WrestleMania. Uh, what's his stasi? I couldn't keep his mouth shut. <laughs> oh, because he was bl- bl- b- babbling. The night and- before, he gives up all 11 names, and Kevin Dunn <laughs> called Lauren Eisen and goes, fire them all. And John, yeah, Johnny called me. Uh, because Stasiak said the 11 names did, of the he secrets? Did a, he did, I guess he did something as the internet was just coming out, right? right. You know, whatever it was. So Stasiak did an interview and gave up all 11 names that were going to be at WrestleMania. The secret WCW the crew. The secret crew. <laughs> so Kevin Dunn had called Laurenitis and said, fire them all. all right, we don't even have them here, and already this shit started. <laughs> he got heat before he even showed so up. So Johnny calls me early in the morning in my hotel. You know, we flew in like ridiculous flights nobody saw us like 2 a.m you guys are in houston we're outside of houston you guys are at the you know shangri-la and i'm in bedrock <laughs> and it freaking phone rings and said get your ass downstairs you're all going home and, really what the hell is that so i go down to meet johnny and he's he's pissed and he told me the story i'm like but he didn't say it was stasia right. he just said who who went out on the end i'm going well that's not my deal even till this day, the internet's not my deal. So I called Lance. So now Lance and I are sitting there going, you got to be shitting. So everybody gets called down. We're brought down to the lobby. Johnny gives this speech. Stasiak owns up to it, whatever. They're looking at him like, man. So wow. they took us. Ernie Ladd meets us. Ernie Ladd? Ernie Ladd meets us in a bus. They take us the back route, stick us in a skybox with cheese and crackers and said, enjoy the show. So I went from being in the ring oh, you guys with Shane McMahon oh. at WrestleMania. That's going to be my debut into WWE into a silhouette of me and Lance sitting with maybe Mike Sanders and someone else. And the whole time, if you can imagine Lance, <laughs> oh, just miserable. And m and f and And I'm looking at him going, we're in a shit. <laughs> and the... WrestleMania was over, back down some kabuki stairway, it smelled like piss and vinegar, mm-hmm. back into the same bus, no one talked to us, dropped us off at the hotel, we were sent home. And I'm wow. Like, oh, shit. That was quick. So then, so then how did... did they... And then the invasion. Okay. So the invasion came after, but we were supposed to. Wow. Like Shane, the whole big thing was, these are my friends, and we were going to be in the ring in front of the 70,000 people or whatever it was. In Houston, yeah. and, and I'm going, man, I feel like I've been here before. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, how, how, you know, you always least... wonder, how do you get yourself? <laughs> but you know from then on, because it, you were there before us, and you were always trying to drop the knowledge mm-hmm. on us, every one of us, me, everybody, and you were like, hey, this is how it's done here, and, and you knew the ones who weren't paying attention, and we did. We were guilty by association. Yeah. Well, we were all guys... guilty by association. Because you were WCW right. guys. And then, you know, as they started bringing in Goldberg and pay, all the guys that had guaranteed money, well, this group apparently wasn't it. We had to get that group. And then Ray was in and right. Ray was in. And then we're back to, back to square one. Like that invasion would have been so huge if it would have been the whole group coming in together. Goldberg, Flair. Uh, I, think, I think in the first group, you were probably the biggest name, you and Lance. Yeah. Because well, Booker Lance wasn't was first, even there I yet. Was saying, there was no Booker. Right. There was no Ray. There was no... 
Yeah. It was Buff Goldberg, Bischoff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's Buff Bagwell. Buff, and he started it out. (laughs) Yeah. God, dog. (laughs) Yeah, he got, he he didn't. I don't even know, you know, I don't mind guilty by association with the right crowd. (laughs) I got burned from the jump, and I'm like, oh, shit. How do I dig myself out of this hole? But then when you finally did come in, you, you, you were working with, with the company for a bit. And then, like you said, then the Tough Enough comes. So right off the bat, the, com- the company must have seen something in you, knowing that you're going to be a, a, a good trainer. Yeah, and then, John, you know, because Johnny and I knew each other from Japan. And, and right. when he finished up in WCW and in the off days when we weren't doing house shows then or live events, hey, you want to go to Cincinnati? Or, hey, you want to do this? And, hey, work, hey, I'm... If there was a tryout in a town early on the house show, Billy come in early and roll around with this kid and see what he's got, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So then when it came up for the third Tough Enough, they asked me if I wanted to do it, and I said, yeah. You know, just any opportunity, take the opportunity. worked out because that show was, at the time, that was the biggest MTV thing. Right. That's what led MTV into the reality shows and all that oh, stuff. Okay, and that's yeah, where yeah. The Miz and all the because once they saw the reality TV. Mm-hmm. So I, I came in in the third season, and I did – three, four, five, and six, or whatever it was. But you had the reputation of being like the hard-nosed yeah, coach. And yeah, and that's kind of the, right, it's it's the thing. What people see is what it is. Mm-hmm. And that's followed me ever since that season when they fired Hugh Morris and brought Bill DeMott in. That name right there, people go, oh, shit. Mm. And they don't know me. Mm-hmm. And they have no idea who I am, what I'm about. Right. You know, those things. But... You make your reputation. The funny thing in this day and age is they don't separate the two. You mean between character and real yeah. life? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and you come across that all the mm-hmm. time, you know? It's interesting. I just had Axel Rotten on last week, and we were talking about how he was pigeonholed into the hardcore blood and guts barbed wire wrestler. Yeah. And he said, I never wanted to be that. I wanted to be a wrestler, but that was the role that I was given. Yeah. And either do it or. Don't lose or the job. Or fall to the wayside right. and someone else takes the... Yeah. I was just talking to Stevie Richards about the same thing. And I mm-hmm. said, remember when you were a kid and you were so nice to me, I said to him, and I came into ECW when the first Bob Wire baseball bat, and he sat next to me and he started talking to me about wrestling. I said, you're one of the few guys in my 28 years who talked to me about wrestling. Mm-hmm. Because I can wrestle. Yeah. Like, I can wrestle. Yeah. But people see that that personality and you are you and what do you do you you have to run with it mm-hmm. and in this stage and that's what everybody sees that's the real you know yeah yeah that's kind of but that's yeah. your your reputation is known yeah. as the hard guy so because come out of tough enough came back as the new and improved bill demott on screen in the ring and was running through everybody and i'm like oh that's it and then the next tough enough came and like hey can you can you do that again sure but if they say hey be you Mm-hmm. It'd be a different version. Right, right, right. Because, you know? yeah, I mean, there's two sides to that. that I, I've never <laughs> seen. I see the laughing, funny, yeah. great guy. Yeah. We never, I never was trained by you, so I never saw the hard-nosed guy. And even in the ring, I mean, we worked quite a bit. Yeah. I can specifically remember, especially in WCW, we always had, I mean, you were really fun to work with. Dang, I tried. You know, really, you know, <laughs> I, I love wrestling, you know, mm-hmm. but you can't get expectations, I think, take over. Yeah. People go, oh, but people hear I'm hard and people hear, oh, man, he's the toughest. And I'll be the first one to say the things we do are tough. Mm-hmm. 
but no one's standing over you berating you you know it's, mm. it's, so it's it's tricky because no matter what happens and it's people who've never been involved with and you haven't guys and girls or whoever who've spoken about you and you've had it before maybe they never even met you they're just going off of what they read or what they yeah, hear yeah, yeah. what someone else says so it's it's like you know what is it that's my cross to bear mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. You, you either laugh about it or you become that person that person and mm. so far at 50 years old i haven't become you know i'm not looking to become that guy because that guy's just a red light guy mm-hmm. the red lights on total divas hey bill we need you to do that boom i'm in right how do you want it tough enough can you kevin dunn's biggest thing was you know she's my friend she goes you ready to be an asshole for another season yeah because that's my job mm-hmm. to come across that way that's what you need it's, yeah. like, it's like you know watching american idol and it worked because simon cowell was was the jerk right but that's how those guys learned you know from yeah. that you know who's living large at my house my three cats mr mittens indy and snickers and you know why because we switched them to pretty litter Okay, so it's really me and my wife and my daughters who are living large, thanks to Pretty Litter. Because Pretty Litter's ultra-absorbent crystals trap odor instantly, so no more bad cat smells in the bathroom. Pretty Litter crystals last up to a month, so less cat litter box cleaning for all of us. And less fighting about whose turn it is to clean the litter box. I gotta deal with this fight every single week between my daughters. This makes it so much easier. Pretty Litter also ships right to our front door, so no more last-minute mad scramble runs to the store because we're out of kitty litter. And Pretty Litter has another cool feature that makes life just a little easier. It helps us keep tabs on our cat's health. It changes colors so you can monitor early signs of potential illnesses like urinary tract infections and kidney issues. It's easily the best thing we've done for ourselves and our cats in a very long time. Like I said, Pretty Litter helps keep tabs on my cat's health and keeps odors down. Those are two big wins in my house, meow. You and your cat are going to love Pretty Litter as much as we do. So go to prettylitter.com slash Jericho and use code Jericho to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash Jericho. Code Jericho to save 20%. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. All right, let's get back to Bill DeMott, my old friend. How, how far did you make it in WWE? I don't remember when you left WWE to cross over to becoming just completely a, a trainer and a coach. I went uh, in 2003 is when I snapped my neck. Snapped your neck do it in the ring? Yeah. And my last match, I forget, it was in Corpus Christi against Sean O'Hare. <laughs> wow. I'm looking yeah. around. <laughs> yeah. He, but, uh, he passed away yeah, too, I couldn't, okay. yeah, but I couldn't move from my head down. So I was in the ring for a little bit. What did he do? It happened? wasn't him, oh. but I was with him at the time, and I, I just hit my flip. You know, I, I was hitting the moonsault, landed, boom, couldn't move. Literally wow. couldn't move. No feeling, no tingling, no nothing. Oh my and I was actually, and it was a live event. So I was laying in the ring for a little bit, scared to death. They got me to the back, Crash Holly. Yeah. Bless his heart. We got in a, we got in a car. They got me in the car. So I'm moving. They got me in the car. We drove to San Antonio. I went to Raw. Like, we can't have you here. So they got people to get me to the airport to get me on a plane. You still couldn't walk. I, I, my right side was done. I was like, I, have, I still say I have the Jimmy arm and the Jimmy leg. And Amazing that you still went to Raw. That's the That's your job, the right? Job, That's right, the yeah. craziest of people. I don't think people who really don't. Yeah. I just want to wrestle. Yeah. I'll say that till I just now, now in my mindset, I just want to be in that ring with guys. I was just talking to Devon the other day and. You know, they're right here in Florida. Mm-hmm. And he goes, ah, you ever get the itch? 
it's back in my bag (laughs) because I always have the itch. But, yeah, I went to Raw. So the the good thing for me was I I went through a a kind of a sticky six-month period of, oh, your neck's not that bad, doesn't need to be fixed. Well, we don't think it should be fixed. Maybe just some time off of the, you know, Bob Clark, if you remember him. If I met him now, then I could become Bill DeMott with the red light on for oh. <laughs> three quick minutes. But anyway, I got my neck fixed, and, and Kevin Dunn approached me about becoming a commentator. Never did it. So I went right from the ring, neck surgery. Two days later, I was on Velocity. Hmm. So I did Velocity, and I worked with Cole and Taz, and that's when Cole and I really started cutting our teeth. And then... Uh, an opportunity came to go to Louisville. Lance at the time was going in and out of Louisville as, as a, a trainer. trainer, yeah. But he would he would go home for X amount of weeks because he's you know he's he's going to stay in Calgary his whole <laughs> life, you know. And so they said, hey, when Lance is there, you want to come in. So I was doing Velocity, I was doing Tough Enough, and the in betweens, I was going to Louisville, right? And I was just eating it up. I could I could care less. I was just digging it, and they're like, oh. You want to take over Louisville because I think they had offered it to Lance, but he didn't want to move or whatever. So they offered me Louisville. So Lacey and I were getting ready to look at houses in Louisville. We got to Louisville. I brought her in and we got to Louisville. And like, oh, we're oh, we're thinking about opening up Atlanta. Yeah, but I'm in Louisville. No, you're gonna go to Atlanta. <laughs> right. <laughs> totally. You know, back you know, wrestling mm-hmm. changes overnight. But from 2003 on is when it became what I was doing. Yeah, that became between the tough enoughs and and Louisville and all and you know all that stuff. And I was in HWA from from right when I joined WWE. I was always in the the camps somewhere. So I'd been in every camp and every system, helping and working there. And I would stay there for weeks and do the live events and go right back to Cincinnati. So you were still working even after you hurt your yeah neck. yeah. So I did that for a little while longer, and then it just it just became time not to do that because mm-hmm. I. I lose all, I have all the, the nerve damage in my spine, so I'm losing this. Losing your so like, okay. movement of your arms. Yeah. yeah, so the training thing, just just luck. I always say it. I've always said it. I've just been in the right place at the right mm-hmm. time. And Contrary to what everybody else says, I couldn't have pissed too many people off if I vote. You know, I'm always getting an opportunity. Well, yeah, because you you were running Atlanta, which was deep south. Deep south, yeah. Who Who came out of that system God, dog, Kofi Kingston, mm-hmm. The Miz, uh, Mike Knox came out of there, uh, Festus, who's now Doc Gallows, yeah. came out of there, Ray Gordy came out of there. I forget how many girls came out of there. I think we had, at the time, there was like 30, that came, Jack Swagger, uh, Brodus Clay, MVP, they were all coming out of there. And we were only there 18 months. Wow. So in a short time in Atlanta, with Jody Hamilton, who mm-hmm. was running the ship, and <laughs> so, you know, things starting to fall apart, you know, right from the jump. But anyway, we were only there 18 months. It was a success. They moved it to Tampa. And that's when I, so in 2007, I had finished up with WWE. And then for four years, I didn't work for them. So I had my own little. Now, when you finished up because the contract was done or was no, there any. No, they, they're moving on. We're moving on. Going to go a different direction, yep, different, different coaches, direction, whatever. Different coaches. So, so but out of that, from that Deep South wrestling, a lot of guys came out of there to the main roster yeah. and a lot are still there to this day yeah right and did you ever have any complaints with any of them saying that no, you were they, too hard i think you're, I mean, you're always gonna here i guess here's the thing in, in walmart ibm and wwe you're always gonna get the complaints the deep-rooted complaints from the ones who didn't make it get yeah, there yeah 
there's always going to be a complaint. Mm -hmm. There's always going to be, why are we working so hard? Why are we here five days a week? Well, can we do it in two hours or can we take today off and work on Sunday? So there's always those complaints. I mm -hmm. think there's always going to be a complaint department, a strong suggestion box. But it was always the ones who chose not to attack it. Mm -hmm. Whether they had talent or not, they chose. And then in Deep South, the big thing was, well, I wasn't in that click. The click that was working their asses off. And I think what everybody fails to, I was there with them. Not sitting on the sidelines. I was in the ring with them doing it. I was there, you know, running Atlanta. So you're in there at 6 o'clock in the morning, and you're there till 8 o'clock at night making sure that things happen. And that was kind of, that's, I, I guess I, in that aspect, I'm an overachiever. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure, that if that's my job, I'm going to do it until I'm told not to do it. And that's always been the way I've attacked it, you know. But I think you, your complaints are always going to happen. There's always going to be someone sore. There's always going to be someone... I mean, look, in the performance center, with everything that's there, they're going to train you in strength and conditioning and promos, and there's always that complaint. Do we have to do promos tonight? Do we, no, you don't have to. Hey, do you have to make it in the rest yeah. of the business? You no, you wanna, don't have to. Do you want to succeed? Do, yeah. you, do you have to be an NXT superstar? No. Do you want to? But it's always the ones that are... It's, and it's far and few between. If you go through the history of what I've been doing, there's about... I'll say there's a dozen complaints that are, it's this and he's that, or it was this and it was unfair. And, but I'd like to weigh out the hundreds, damn near thousands, yeah. that have come through it, even the tryout camps that have come through it and the people you've dealt with, and then the 12 who say... Yeah, this was you know. inhumane. But see, it, it, it's interesting to me, and, and I'll say this, and I took a lot of flack you know, online for standing up for yeah, you. Yeah, you did. When, you took a beating. I did. And and the thing is, the reason why I did it, and this is, you know, I still might take flack for it, and it was a different time, but in 1990, when I, and Lance Storm was there with me every step of the way, the training to get out of the Hart Brothers camp was very, very, very hard, very difficult, uh, a lot of bullshit things that yeah, you had to yeah. do, you know? And I think a lot of that, and I did every one of them when I was getting stretched to, you know, when my legs were up beside me, like David Lee Roth jumping off the drum riser in 1979, and I was crying as someone's pushing my face to the mat saying, kiss the mat, as my legs are split out, uh, as we were doing, you know, 5,000 hack squats yeah. uh, in a morning, as we were doing a mile running backwards, you know, as we were doing medicine ball practice where everyone has to close your eyes and sit there as they drop a medicine ball on your stomach and you don't know when it's your turn. <laughs> right. You know, I missed out on nutshot practice, which was a Bruce Hart classic where you just kick each other in the nuts every day. But that was part of the discipline of mentally, are you tough enough to do this? And people will say, well, that's a different time. And this is now, I still think wrestling is unlike, I know, is unlike any other form of athleticism, entertainment, whatever, you have to be as mentally strong as you are physically strong. Yeah. And if you're not mentally tough, you're not going to make it. So, like I said, I never trained with you. I never saw your training methods. But to me, it's a mental toughness that you're trying to pass on. Yeah, and you, you take it, and, and for everyone who doesn't, you have to realize if you're going to be any good at what you do, you have to adapt. And that was always the conversation with Triple H. We have to adapt. We have to take what we've done. Because Hunter will tell you the stories when Kowalski came across his head with a phone book. Right. But we don't do that now. But the, the message behind it, we still do. You, you don't hit him with a phone book. And there's no, the, the torture of squats is no longer in existence. And, you know, mm -hmm. 
and all these things don't happen. People don't hear that. People go back to what they heard, and that's the torture. Mm-hmm. So we've adapted the training, and, and you know, but there's got to be a toughness. And it's always the underlying thing in, in my mind, and I, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Apparently, right now, three months into my new ventures, I'm, I'm wrong. But if you can make it, and I've always said it, and it's been used against me, but if you can make it here. In the performance center? In the performance center or in the developmental system back before the performance center. If you can make it in NXT, or, then you're so prepared for what the WWE is. From two hours of sleep and being at media calls at 4 a.m. to driving 500 miles. I mean, these, some of these, not all of them, but some of them drive to Lakeland and want the next day off. Right. And you think to yourself, yeah, we like, can't let that happen. Because you're going to go from Buffalo to Wilkes Bar, mm-hmm. make the drive. They're going to call you at the last minute. You have media at six a.m. Still make your raw call time, and still have to deal with all the backstage politics yeah, that are involved. All the other stuff, and then sit in front of a Stephanie, a Triple H, a Vince, a Paul Heyman, the guys that are up there now on top that have that work ethic, and you're either going to hang or you're not. Mm-hmm. And that's always been my thing. If you can do that here and realize it's not to break you down, it's to to get you prepared, Mm -hmm. then you're golden. And that's what's been said. For a long time in the system was nobody ever left the system, came up there and and blew up. And that was the biggest praise from JR and and Johnny Ace. And, you know, those guys go, man, they're ready. You mean the same guy that bitched about... Well, see, cardio right. is prepared and once they get there and that's the that's always the beauty part for me the thing that all these other cats that have jumped on your bandwagon and hate you for standing by my side and all that stuff they don't talk to those guys who didn't like the developmental system because we all think we should be stars mm-hmm. <laughs> we all think we should be the next guy well i've been here four years i should be here why is he here six months then what haven't you done that he's done mm-hmm. but when they get there they're the ones that praise the system and go, that place does work. And that was always the, the ongoing phrase for me in our weekly meetings or our monthly meetings with the talent and the, the coaches. Every, this place works, mm-hmm. and it works because of what we're doing. Are you going to be a fan favorite? No. You have to decide if you're going to be that guy. If you make them all happy, you're preparing for it, or there's going to be that. I think I used a J.J. Dillon, right? J.J. said to me a long time ago, I'm the heat guy. Well, I'm the heat guy. I, I was the heat guy for for that and I knew that and but I still did my job accordingly but it's funny you know you you got if I could have reached through the whatever it is the phone or whatever because I saw the the beating you started to take and I, and I said to Lacey I'm like this, this shit will never work out it, because you know people have opinions but I hate to see someone else get brought into the negative because well, I'm not a negative cat so when I see the negative I and part of you just wants to fight back and then You've got to figure it, out who you are. It's the world we live in, though, of, and, and I understand there's a certain modicum of political correctness that yeah. we have to, you know, uh, all in the family, Archie Bunker could never be a TV show right. nowadays. It's right. just too far over the line. And the one thing I've learned, like, I made it in wrestling against the odds. And that's, that counts from 1990, trying to go into independent Calgary shows, to, to becoming a six-time world champion right. in the WWE. And the reason why I made it is because I was mentally tough enough for the way I was trained. And is it all, if we laid out all the things that happened to me when I was training, is it all right? No. Right. Is there things that people could have been, you know, you know suspended or had to resign for? Yes. I understand that now you look at it and go, you can't do that in the corporate world. 
But I still think that that there's a generation of guys, our generation, and I'm not being old timer back in my day, right, right. that made it not because of our skills, but uh, not because of who we are, but in, in, despite of of who we were destined to be by the eyes of the office, right. You know, I, yeah. I liken it to Full Metal Jacket when you watch the beginning of that show and F. Lee Ernie, I can't remember what the name of the drill sergeant is, yep. and he's putting those guys through hell and he's doing stuff that if you saw that in the corporate world, he'd be fired instantly. But those guys lived in the heat of battle because of that training. Yeah. You know what I mean? So when I heard about these, these things that, that happened or didn't happen to people complaining, I understood why they're saying it, but I also understood why you were doing some yeah. of those things. And the slant on it, I think that's the, th- it's people's perception, right? That's mm-hmm. a big word now anywhere is perception. So what, what you and I are talking about now, some, and I said this to someone else, you and I are going to have this conversation, and who's going to listen to it? They're going to hear something that wasn't said, and they're going right. to take their interpretation of it and turn it around, and all of a sudden, you know, somewhere in here I called you a pussy. Mm-hmm. You know, or so, and that's n- not the case. But if someone can say it, then you have to listen to it because someone's making that complaint. Or someone, I was called a pussy though in training, and, and not just the yeah, first. Yeah, I'm pretty sure if whole... Steven Spielberg is in the heat of the moment, or Ron Howard is in right, the heat of the right. moment, and goes, "Don't be a pussy," right? Deliver this line. Harrison Ford's not walking off the set and going, "I." Yeah, yeah, it. and also if he does, he's going to be like, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to deliver this line better than it's ever been and delivered. Shove, it, shove it down your throat. That's yeah. it, and then shove it in his face. And I think that's the the part of it is that out of context, mm-hmm. whatever has been written has been written. But out of context, people read that and go, oh, and that's not what it is. But unless you're there. Did you ever? Uh, I want to talk more about kind of the genesis of NXT too. But it, did you ever get any complaints from people that that made it? Were there ever people no, like, like, tell a, you like that, a Miz? I'm sure. No. I'm sure Miz went through the ringer with the you. The Miz went through it. I mean, Miz was famous. I, one of the one of the biggest issues I had at the time was uh, make a deal Friday, and they'd make a deal to get out of training on Friday because Thursday was our taping, mm-hmm. and we'd clean up the arena, and then we'd review tape, and we'd go for about an hour or so and get some stuff in. It's a five day a week job. We know it's a seven day a week job, right. but to them, so they'd make a deal. So. The funny quick Miz stories. We'll do twenty five hundred squats if we can leave right after. <laughs> My reply was deal. Yeah, and I sat there while they all the the whole place did twenty five hundred squats. Some were pissed off they made the deal. Some laughed. Some figured out that it took them longer to do twenty five hundred squats than it would to train for an hour or so. <laughs> but the end, literally within by the weekend, I got a phone call and an email from Laurenitis of what am I thinking making them squat all day? And that wasn't the case. That was their call. And so the morale building turned into a couple of people, you know, mm-hmm. much like the jelly donut scandal of... Now, what was the jelly donut scandal? So, I mean, here it is. Here's the jelly donut. Make a deal Friday. Mm. That's for the talent to come together. And in hindsight, I've said this, in hindsight, was it the smartest move? Absolutely not. But you work with 30-something people every day. You try to keep morale. You try to keep that, I believe, in that team thing. Although we're individuals, if we train together. You're the coach. If if we bond. Yeah. And this is their deal. Friday's was their deal. And if you talk to Zack Ryder and you talk to Doc Gallows and Mike Knox and Nykirk and and Lauren Williams and all that, you know, some of the uh, Ryback and all these guys, some of the deals were the most ridiculous things in the world. That's what it became. How funny can we get? 
what's the most ridiculous thing we can do, have some fun with it, and move on. Well, I'll sit there and let him squish a jelly donut in my face with his bare ass. What? <laughs> Who's in on that? Two people raise their hands to sit in the corner and do it. Doc Gallows jumped up at the opportunity to run across the ring and squish a stink face jelly donut. And that was it. In hindsight, it's the most ridiculous thing ever. But the way it was portrayed was making them do these things and mm. and it had nothing to do with me. In hindsight, I'm the I'm the leader. Right. This is your deal. Everybody's in on this. Everybody else was in on it because they weren't part of it. They got to watch it. But well, there's one cat with a phone, mm-hmm. takes a picture, picture says a thousand words. And it, and it is something that, that um, a lot of people don't understand. In wrestling, there is a lot of warped sense of humor yeah, that we're all yeah, on the same page. Yeah. Hornswoggle was on, and Adam was on too, Edge, talking about Tommy Ball. When they would sit there and Tommy would sit there naked with his ball bag and you'd throw stuff at it. And if you could hit him in the balls with a roll of tape or a Coke can or whatever, you would win. Yeah. Now, if that was a picture taken of like Tommy, Tommy ball, you know, or, or remember Jim Duggan, the soap monster. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> He'd run out of the shower covered in soap and hug you naked yeah. and covered yeah. in soap. If you took a picture of that and someone, Jim Duggan hugged me naked when I had soap. All they over. made me stand there naked. Well, you know, right. But that's it. Yeah. So. There's, a, there's that thing, and you talked about there's that thing about wrestling that's not here anymore. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, and it was, and it truly was, it was something fun, morale building that didn't appear for four and a half years later until someone wanted to use it. Taken out of context, it's something that could get, <laughs> me, that could get all yeah. of us in yeah. trouble. And that's, and that's exactly what it mm-hmm. is. Again, smartest move ever, as the, as the coaches said, no. But was I, you know, the, did Tom Landry think like that or Belichick right. or these guys? I'm, sh- you know, and I'm, I don't know because I'm not there, but mm-hmm. I'm sure they do things and boys will be boys. So, right. But, you know. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love, all at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. All right, Bill, you mentioned before about the genesis of NXT. Now, I was just there last week to do some stuff for Tough Enough, and I couldn't believe it. Unbelievable. I couldn't, like, honestly, yeah, like, dude, it is. So high tech, over the top, amazing, and I see you smile like proudly, <laughs> like you had a lot to do yeah. with, the, with the with the building and the growing of that place. Yeah, it's you know you're set. There's nothing, and that's been the the phrase that was been has been said. You and that's every rookie orientation. I led the the introductions, and you have a two day rookie orientation where you hear all the things that are presented to you, both in and out of the ring, the things that WWE provide for you, that you know how how important you are as an investment. And mm-hmm. the thing is, you, if you don't succeed in the performance center, it's because you're not doing something. It's said just like that. Right. You've seen every room. I've given a million tours. I've done a million interviews out of there. We've done tryout camps. We've, we had uh, the muscle and fitness guy who joined the trout camp because he wanted to see it and he was a hidden part of the trout camp. The guy working for the magazine yeah. must have And been he his. went through the tryout camp and there's nothing we we when I was there there's nothing we would do different 
when there was a guest, this is the way it was, green screen rooms and voiceover rooms and the success that's come out of there, if you don't get something out of that place, Mm -hmm. you're not going to go to any other wrestling camp in the world and get better. You You can learn different things, but... Right. That gym alone is unbelievable. Amazing. And I was counting. There's seven rings. There's a whole full full course gym. There's uh, I interviewed Kevin Steen in the promo room. Yeah. Uh, there's a voiceover room. There's a editing bay. Editing bay. There's there's beautiful locker rooms and showers. The locker which, rooms are you know it's it's over the top. It's a one stop pro wrestling learning shop. Yeah, that's it. So and you saw the talent lounge up there, and mm-hmm. you saw the because they spend all day there. There's nothing that Triple H didn't didn't think of and is still thinking of. And I will smile every minute I hear NXT because I I, I was on the the in on that. And did you guys work together? Yeah, like, I, I, this, I, I always said that about Paul. I enjoyed the conversations. I enjoyed being in in on the in on the building of it and the success of it from from everything the TV aspects to the the late nights and working with Owens on his entrance and what a, what a special cat. I sent him a message, you know, and it's funny, right? He's like, easily looks like you could be his dad. Uh, well, that's it, you know. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, I don't know. I think I might look a little better than him, but <laughs> we'll, he'll get over it. Yeah. But he's on fire. Yeah. But to send these guys, you know, in this age of text messages and everything else, and Callisto debuted, and all these guys debuted, and Neville debuted, and for all the bad things that are said, when those guys reach out. You know, and the and the girls, and so proud of all the girls there. And you know, just keep in contact with them and telling Owens the other night what a great job he did, you know, against Cena, and and just hearing back from him. That's that's all worth it. So you know, I've got you know, I've gotten used to the to the. I could take a pretty good shot in the job, but to see that happen, I I, I dig what they're doing. I want them to succeed. I want that performance center to succeed. I want more to happen. I want another performance center. I asked Owens. Um because I was like, you know, cause, because I said, you kind of built like Bill. You're not as big as Bill is, but you're kind of the same, you know, a chubby guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, chaboots, but very agile. Yeah, and very, very good in the ring. And I said, did you get, uh, did he, did you feel like Bill was giving you a little bit of a, of a, not a free pass, but a little kindred spirit? He said, no. He said, Bill was just as hard on me as he was on everybody else, but he wasn't like, over the top hard, he wanted me to succeed, but he wasn't giving me a free pass because I was a you know a chubby guy too. Yeah, you know, and I've asked a lot of people, and there is a lot of guys out there that say they really benefited from from your training. And once again, people will probably steamroll me for saying that, but Owens has said it, and Zayn has said it, and Neville has said it, and all these guys yeah. understood what you were doing there, and now look at the fruits of of the labor that's happening. Yeah, you don't have to, you know, at the end of the day, and something that you when you build your coaching team, you have to remind them. We can be friendly, but we're not their friends. Mm-hmm. If they succeed, it's because of what you're doing. More importantly, if they don't succeed, there's no reason for us to be there. Mm-hmm. Something has to change, just like in the NFL, just like in the NBA, anything else. Right, right. If and you're... that's the thing. And, and I, I'm so honest with every guy and girl down to the letter. Listen, here's where, lack of a better term, right, abilism, here's where you're shit in the bed. You've got to... This is talking to your coach, talking to you. This is what you have to do. Here's how we need to work on it. If you want to do it, you let us know if you want to put the extra time. I was that honest with everybody. How am I doing? It's not looking good right now. Mm -hmm. You need to pick it up. Just that honest. And it would work out or not. But 95% of the time, people come back and thank me for at least being honest enough to let them know where they stand. 
whether they succeed or fail or not there. And I talk to guys like Jody Christofferson all the time who's not with us anymore. And he's another guy who went out there and said, I've been through it and I know what he was doing and I'm better for it. And that the, you know, one of the things is you're going to leave WWE better than when you got there. Whether you succeed mm -hmm. in NXT or WWE or not, you're going to leave better because of all the things that you're afforded. Education, right, right. The, the, the knowledge. You can go out to any other. You can go to Japan now and be prepared. You can go, you know, where, wherever it is. Were there some guys there, this is a two-pronged question, were there some guys there that made it that you didn't think would? And were there some guys there that didn't make it that you thought would? Like, when you look at I didn't think that Zack Ryder would make it on his own. Away Only from because the, the Majors brothers back in Deep South and how good they were, and they're such fans, both him and Brian, Matt and Brian, both fans of it, good guys. Uh, Kurt Hawkins, mm -hmm. you know, they're both good guys. And when I heard about the split, I was more concerned for Zach than for, than than for, for Hawkins because mm -hmm. I was like, oh, Brian – he just had that aggressive thing. He wasn't going to take no for an answer. And what a role reversal. It just switched. And right. Zach hit the... So that was when I was shocked. I thought everybody who went, and I guess that's just that father thing in me. Mm -hmm. Like, I knew when they went, they were ready. I'll tell you a guy who I knew shouldn't have gone and didn't think was going to make it was Oleg. Was um, the Russian cat with Santino for... Yeah, uh, Kozlov. Kozlov. Hmm. And it was just... But he fit that role. Yeah. So he didn't go in what he wanted to do. This legitimately a badass Samba champion and all these things, and he wasn't a wrestler that fit that, but he fit a role for Santino for made him for. for what they were looking for. So I didn't think he Kali was another one, right? You, you, mm -hmm. know, you look at it and go, oh man, but he his role changed and he fit it. And I think that's the beauty of the machine, and you know it. You're going to come in as something, but somebody will see it. But it's still up to you to make it work, right? And I think that's the, the always the underlying thing for me is. You don't know what they're going to... Adam Rose. You don't know what it is. But once they hand it to you, you have to... Bray Wyatt, you have to make it work. If they're going to let you run, mm -hmm. Xavier Woods now is finding his chops, right? And it could be... He could be a manager for the rest of his career or whatever and let, let Kofi and Big E do the, the brunt right, of the work. Right. But you never know. So when did things start breaking down for you? Because you're mentioning all these guys and they're all main roster guys and they all came through right. basically the Bill DeMott system. Yeah. You guys, even the guys like Rusev and you know Seth uh, Rollins and Ambrose. Ambrose I mean, all and those Reigns and Reigns, Bo yeah. Dallas and all of them. And they all had some. Some yeah. of them had steam outside in yeah, the independent yeah, world. They came but, in with yeah, but they had to be shaped. You know, even even the, the last few guys under your regime of Balor and Itami and Owens, yeah. you know, those guys are all now just starting to come in and making real names for themselves. Yeah. So it would seem like your track record, even though there's some issues here and there, but your record of people going to the big leagues and doing well is, is there. Yeah. So when did it start kind of breaking I don't, down? I, I think it goes back to you don't know, some people do, if you're from the Northeast, you don't know the whole coaching staff on the Patriots, mm -hmm. but you know it's Belichick. Right. When things are good, Belichick's on fire. When things are bad, Belichick's a jackass. Mm -hmm. And I think that's it. There's some, some of the talent out there I have never been in the ring with. Really? But I've watched, and that was my job, to know 85 cats, mm -hmm. what they can do, what they're good at, make suggestions to their coach. Because unlike any other time, every coach has a specialty. And there's Billy Gunn, and there's Norman Smiley there, and there's Sarah, who's on fire. Brookside. And, you know, Brookside and Adam Pierce is there now, and, and Bloom and those guys there. 
so everybody had a specialty. So I would sit back and say to Billy, who'd be working with a Tyler Breeze, let it's Billy's job. It's his guy. But sit back and see it from the outside in and see what Billy's not seeing. So if Tyler Breeze is successful, which he is so far, hats off to Billy Gunn. But if Tyler Breeze was to fail or unhappy, Bill DeMott. Hmm. Because there's got to be that guy. And I think I came back to the WWE with that target on my, that reputation and that target on my back that if, if it doesn't go right, I'm blaming him. Mm-hmm. Because if you blame and not to undercut him in any way, shape, or form. But if someone said, well, Norman Smiley didn't help me and I didn't succeed under Norman Smiley, that's not news. Right, right, right. He's an assistant coach. Yeah, that's not the head coach. Yeah, that, that guy made me fail. So I'm trying to think back. Like, I, said, so, was, was there, I just think it's, it, it, you know. Just was there people. an email sent about somebody? Yeah, was, there was, was you that, know, that, it was just all of a sudden it was just something. And that and the, the funny part is it's just things that are sent. And if it's out there, it's got to be real. Mm-hmm. And then you have the option. You have the option of, I guess, lack of a better term, defending yourself or speaking up or something or realizing what what it is, what you do. And I think that's that's where I'm at at 50 years old and 28 years in this. I have to remember a bunch of things. I'm a father. I'm a husband. My kids are 22, 20, and 6. Uh, my family. I have to watch all those things. And there's a part of Bill that would go out and go, shit's on. You mm-hmm. want it? Here it is. And there's a part of me. And, and, and it, it sounds corny, but it's the truth. I love this business. I love it. I'd like to think I've proven that over the years in and out of the ring. I'm loyal to this business. I'll say openly I'm loyal to Triple H. The things that we've done together the past X amount of years has been great. I never want to tarnish anything. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I, yeah, I don't have an opinion that I choose to share. Mm-hmm. I think I just sit on it a lot. And for the past three months that I've been sitting on it, I'm trying to find hobbies. And I think that's where the build them on experience comes in. I want to change that. I'd like to change that perception of what the people who think they know me or the people that are speaking out. I want people to see Bill DeMott, mm-hmm. the 24 hours a day of sitting up in a, at your desk making notes for the guy who doesn't stand a chance in everyone else's eyes, but you're figuring out a schedule and things for him to do to get better. Someone to work with. Who do you bring in? How can you do it? The extra time. I want people to know, you know, that at 3 a.m. that Ryan Katz is in that building shooting vignettes for someone to help them succeed. And that's a guy who'll never get any credit. But that's what we did. And I, I, that's my road right now. Uh, if I was still a drinker and a guy who went out and, you know, was a little bit early on Hugh Morris back in the day, <laughs> I think it'd be a whole different situation. But... That's not my speed. Never has been. Mm-hmm. It's never been, you know, Arn Anderson. I always use it, right? You point one finger, three more pointing back. And I don't choose to open a can of worms. I That's a good point, yeah. Because there was kind of a domino effect with this guy said something and this something and the donut thing. And it's funny how that... people jumped in. I, there was a, you know, and I, again, I don't really want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. But there was a girl who said she paid to come to a tryout camp and she was mistreated and no one's she paid to come to the camp. No one's ever paid to come to a WWE trial camp. You, oh, you were invited. Right. But this girl, she just got her name, so she got a couple more followers, and she got an interview out of it. And I get it. I truly get the internet, and I truly get social media. And 
you know. Because the thing is, anybody that was saying those things, uh, they're not going to make it in the business anyways. Well, that, you know what I mean? Like that's... If, if this is what you want to do, and that was always my thought, and for years it's happened, even before things really blew up a couple months ago, there's always been that side little thing of, hey, he did this or he did that. I'm thinking, if that's what you want to do, why are you bringing that attention to yourself? Mm-hmm. Because who wants to bring that back? Right. How would you bring that back into the system the way it is now? Mm-hmm. The the negative vibes and all that stuff. And yeah. And you worked pretty closely with Triple H. So when yeah. it finally like one thing led to another, and there's all this bad publicity. And like you said, it snowballs. Yeah. People having opinions that don't really know yeah. how the business works. What really happened? Did you did you have to sit down and, and, and say, listen, man, when you when you made when you finally decided to resign? Yeah. How hard was that for you? I haven't thought about it yet. Mm-hmm. It's three months. Three months ago, I'll, I'll go with. Uh, yeah, I love NXT. I'll talk mm-hmm. about it all day mm-hmm. long. And if you if you do something for the right reasons, then you have to keep doing it that way. If it was just a job, you'd probably you know leave differently. I don't think I've ever quit anything in my life. Mm-hmm. Maybe a few chess games because <laughs> I suck at chess. <laughs> but I, I don't quit things. And more importantly. Too much positive was going on. And if I'm the cause of negativity or the cause of bringing things down or slowing the progress, you got, it's a hard thing to say, man. Yeah. You've you got to make a decision. And I'm good with Bill. I'm good with me. I know me. I'm good with me. Uh, long talk with my wife. Uh, my, my, two, my daughters who are older get it and sit there and go, you know, here's, here's what I'm thinking. You're going to be crazy. And then my reasoning to them justified what I was thinking. You worked too hard on NXT and loved it too much to dra- have it dragged through the mud yeah, with this bad Yeah, And, bad if, publicity. and if, it, if it's meant to be, it comes back to you. And it's wrestling, right? You mm-hmm. never say never. And we've all been gone before and we all come back or we all do something. I love the business. I support the NXT. Uh, I, and then watching Owens last week. And seeing the things he's done, I go, okay, then that was the right decision. Mm-hmm. Because maybe if if you stay with the negatives and it builds too much, maybe those things don't happen and don't get the opportunity. So somebody's got to do it. Right. I'm not I'm not like that guy. I'm not on a soapbox. I'm not saying, mm-hmm. hey, I'll die on a sword for everybody or anything else. I'm just saying where I'm at in my life and where I'm at with the love for this business and how it's grown and what NXT and that performance center has become, you, you have to make a move. And sometimes the right move doesn't work in your favor, and sometimes it does. But they're successful, and I'm, I'm, I hold on to that. Do you still have a relationship with Triple H? I think so. No. I don't, I've never had a bad one mm-hmm. with anybody there. I have nothing. I have no negative. You know, the only negative is I, I keep my schedule. Here's the thing that drives my wife batshit crazy is I'm up at 5 o'clock every morning because I'm ready to go. Yeah, yeah. To and work, yeah. Oh, three, three months into my, my, you know, my next project, I'm up and I'm ready to go. And if I'm up and ready to go, everybody else better be up <laughs> ready to go. So, you know, it, you know, I'm getting used to that. But What exactly, you mentioned it earlier, and I've read something, but what exactly is the Bill DeMott experience? We've been around the world mm-hmm. how many times? Yeah. We've... We've taken pictures with the most famous people, and we've been to sites we never would have seen. I never would have been out of New Jersey. 
<laughs> and I've been around the world so many times and lived in these places and, and got to experience so many things, but I've never gotten to know people. And I want to meet coaches and I want to meet people that have unique stories and I want to experience a little bit of what what they what they do in life and wh- what they do in their life, how it affects others. So I just started thinking about the build them on experience. And I want to go out there and I think it's going to be successful. I think when this first episode comes out and I, I met with a stunt legend, Charles Bronson's right-hand man, and he worked with Elvis, so I was in right away, and I, I went to his camp, 100 acres out here in the middle of Central Florida, and I spent the day with him. We shot this great episode that we're finishing up, and we're going to air it. So it's a YouTube show? It's, it's going to be a YouTube show, um, and hopefully it turns into some kind of reality actual show. Right? Actual reality show. show. Yeah. And uh, I ran into a good friend of mine from years ago, uh, Steve McChesney, who's become my manager, and has got me out there for some TV, hopefully some TV parts. And you figure all that tough enough stuff and the total divas, you know, there's got to be room for a big bearded, husky <laughs> young fellow with strapping. Ruggedly, like, yeah, ruggedly handsome. Ruggedly handsome. <laughs> I'm sure Michelle Pfeiffer needs a, <laughs> yeah, but a date. Yeah, so the experience is, you know, I'm going to go meet with my pastor and I'm going to go meet. I want to meet coaches and how they affect people's lives how they live their how they see things because truly perception is reality but i want to just bring that experience and and i don't think a lot of people other than you and a handful of solid other cats really understand that i'm actually pretty funny at times (laughs) i have a good sense of humor i love people i love life i love the business and you get to talk to these guys and you get to talk to some of these women and go hey what's it about you know how's it affect you and when is that going to start? I'm, I'm hoping by the end of summer, it's up and running. I like uh, to me. I want to put the first episode out. It should be done editing this week. I want to put it up. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to wait another month to put another one out. So yeah, yeah, yeah. As Get I'm learning the, I'm working with the cameras myself, and I'm, I'm so I'm taking that energy from coaching and coaching myself. And the funny part is, you know, I I've learned about Periscope. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> Ridiculous! I don't get it. Uh, Instagram. I'm a big hit on Instagram. You know, so I'm trying to. And I think the funny part is I'm going to do a Bill Demont experience on Bill Demont and have someone interview me. I'm going to. I'm going. My goal is to turn all the negative vibes into a, a positive thing, and if not, at least sway whatever whatever opinion is made about me. Mm-hmm. Well, and like I said, that's one of the reasons why why I, I said what I said because I don't like getting in internet wars or anything. But you're a, a, a great guy. Thank you're you. a well, funny guy. And- I couldn't believe when you jumped on it. I sat there and I said to Lacey, I almost picked up the phone and called. <laughs> I read it and I and I'm looking at it, shaking my head and Lacey goes, "What?" I said, "I said Chubby got involved." Yeah, and well- she saw it and she went, "Oh man." <laughs> <laughs> People got so mad. I took the damn thing down after it. Like, oh, they ah. got so, and that was and that was uh, right. And then they go, "Oh, he deleted it." And I'm like, "I'm getting beat up again." I, I swear <laughs> yeah, to God, I, I didn't make him delete that. And I was like, "Holy crap!" Do, do you funny. still have? Um, I mean, when you told Triple H that you were resigning, was it a closed door? Do you think there's still a chance you could go back at some point? Is oh, it, I don't know. I think it's yeah. also so fresh. I think it's so fresh. I'd be lying if I said in the back of my mind somewhere, you know, be doing something. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but I'm not I'm not going to wait on it because I think it would drive me, you know, it'd be like being that kid again waiting for that phone waiting call. Waiting for the for call, yeah. Shot. And I think we, you and I have both done that 
enough. So I'm, I'm going to try to stay busy and take the knowledge I have, bring it into this side of things, and hopefully it's TV and get some kind of movie stuff going. Mm. And, and After 28 years in wrestling, is it, is it, is it, is it possible to, to walk away from the business entirely? No. Mm-hmm. No. I've, I've lied to myself and said, I've, yeah, you know, but I can't help it. On Monday night, there I am. I'm watching it, and I'll click, and I, you know, I'll go to Chopped on the Food Network or something. <laughs> oh, there's nothing going on there. And when everybody goes up, leaves the room, they get a drink. I'm back in the <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, because I'm proud of them, and I like to see from the referees that came through to Byron Saxton that came to Corey Graves that story to all these these guys and girls. How about the girls? There's a lot of great girls. Yeah, kind of dog. The it, did you have Did you have a hand with them too? I'd like to think so. Mm-hmm. With Sasha and Charlotte and Alexa Bliss and Carmella, who's come out, you know, has come out. So I'm Becky Lynch and Bailey. I'm a huge Bailey, and and I've spent a lot of time. You you got to be um, you got to be a special cat to spend mm-hmm. a lot of time with the divas, and you know that you to to work with them and talk to them and and things. So is there uh, and just getting ready to wrap up, is there some guys down there that you think are like wait to wait till they make it to the main roster, you wait and see like some guys you think are going to be really popular? I some... think yeah, I it, you know, always that Scott Dawson is on everybody's mind. He's been around for for a couple years now, North Carolina kid. Him and his partner are a good little team. There's uh Mike Rollis who's down there, Dylan Miley who's down there, and I'm not sure who the guys you ran into when you visit. There's so many it's hard to Everybody in that group has something to offer. And what they always are being told, and I hope they never forget, they just have to wait. And if that's the place you have to wait, you're, you're in the money. Yeah. You're in the money. You're getting paid. It's a full-time job. You might as well be main roster the way they, they get treated. I mean that in a positive way and all things they're afforded. And if you can be in your bed right now every night with your wife, or, you know, as you move to Florida, whatever it is, or with your girlfriend, or just in your own bed, cooking in your own kitchen every night, whether you get home at 8 o'clock or 10 o'clock, or you're done early, this is Shangri-La. <laughs> so, but to say who's the next one, it's tough. It's tough, because even the guys like Uha's in now, and and those guys have to work. Owens and Zane and Neville, while they got there quicker than some they had to work twice as hard because they came in with a reputation Mm. these guys have been traveling around the world owens 15 years been doing this and he didn't just get brought in and go okay here it's yours right he he works his ass he was setting up the ring yeah Yeah. setting up the ring he became a leader hey bill i gotta talk to these guys am i out of place doing it no it's your locker room do your thing Hmm. so there's a lot there's a lot of guys there's a lot of girls all the internationals just got in there Guys that we we went to Dubai and scouted and did a three day oh, tryout. So anybody can do anything in that place. So you got all the opportunities. It's all the opportunities yeah, yeah. are there. And uh, last question uh, sure. from your own career: which which if you had to choose one or one or two of your favorite matches that you ever had, does one jump in your head? I think my first one with Randy Savage. Wow! Because I had no business. <laughs> I had no business doing it. I, I cut a promo for Terry Taylor at CNN and said, "Can you do something about Savage?" It was my very first day in WCW. And I cut it, and all of a sudden I'm on Saturday. They aired it on Saturday main Which event. was a big show at the time. It was a big yeah. show. And then all of a sudden on Nitro, I'm working with the Macho Man. 
was it a barn burner? No, it probably sucked on ice. <laughs> but it was I was in there with with Randy Savage, yeah. and then just a bunch. You know, the other than being an internet darling, I think the next biggest thing I'm known for is being Goldberg's first opponent. That's right. You know, you started the streak. Yeah, I did. Started you have any it. idea? No, you started it. What? I, I know. I, I was the I was the first one. I think I was the second one. The fifteenth one. You know, we all <laughs> yeah, we all yeah. did many yeah, yeah. many favors for Bill, but no idea. And I don't think. And yeah. you know, nobody had any idea. And you, you had your things with Goldberg. Yeah. How do you make it work? And I had. If I would know now, know then what I know now, you could do so much more. It was like, hey, Bill, you're working with him, and we need him to go up. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And all of a sudden, he's Goldberg, and <laughs> I'm that? in a dungeon to do. But like, what the <laughs> yeah. hell? How did you get the name Hugh Morris? It was humorous. Yeah. And then because I did that laugh. Oh, you like the So one. I came in as the man of question. They didn't know what they were going to do. They didn't know what to call you. They called me the man of question. <laughs> so in the interview, I did it. <laughs> and he said, hey, that's very humorous. And when they said it on TV, I went right into the office. I don't get it. Because Shivani and those guys said Hugh Morris. And mm-hmm. I said, who names their kid Hugh Morris? <laughs> so Sullivan, you stupid bastard. It's humorous. So they started calling me the laughing man, Hugh Morris. And I still didn't get it. But. Every time uh, I went and saw The Who, and every time I hear them sing, Who Are You? I always text Adam because he did a promo. Because he, he did the promo. Who are you? Yeah. You, 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 so I'm sitting there with Adam and Jay, and they're doing that. And I'm, I'm looking at them going, I can take these two. Yeah. This is funny stuff. But that's what I'm known for, right? Standing there with, with Austin in the middle of the ring. He goes, is that funny? Are you laughing? I go, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. so. Well, dude, it's good to talk to you, and I'm glad you got a chance to kind of give uh, your side of some of this stuff. Bill DeMott Experience. We'll, uh, we'll keep an eye on that, man, you chubby bastard. <laughs> All right, thanks to Big Bill DeMott. Whether you agree with what happened, whether you have your own theories about it, you got to admit Bill had a very heartfelt story there. Loves the business. And uh, I don't think we've heard the last of Bill DeMott. And I appreciate with him sitting down exclusively right here on Talk is Jericho to give his side of the story and tell his tale and finally break the silence about what really happened in his mind uh, at the WWE and at the Performance Center. We'll be checking YouTube for the Bill DeMott experience. He's already working on uh, some episodes, some cool stuff coming up. We will keep you posted. And I'm going to keep you posted. I'm a little nervous. My summer run with the WWE starts tonight. The Y2J WWE Summer Tour starts in Springfield, Illinois. Live event. And remember, there's no TVs, no pay-per-views, although there will be one WWE Network exclusive straight from Tokyo, Japan. It's going to be amazing, though, starting, like I said, Springfield tonight, tomorrow, Terre Haute, Indiana. June 20th, Las Vegas, 27, Boston, 28, Reading. Uh, and actually, July 3rd and 4th, I'll be in Tokyo. But July 2nd, I'm sorry to say, I will not be in Singapore. I was originally supposed to be on that show and i was pulled off the show we found out that hey guess what june 30th where do you gotta be in orlando for tough enough and i thought that i could get to singapore on july 1st but you can't it's really strange you gotta fly i guess maybe uh through los angeles to get to singapore maybe you gotta fly through japan to get to singapore but any way that it worked the only way i would get there is at 11 50 uh, or something uh, p.m the night of the show as in the show starts at 7.30, and I wouldn't get there till 11.30. So I'm not on the Singapore show. It bums me out. I'm sorry. I love Singapore. I was there once before in my life, but I won't be there uh, this time. Hopefully, I'll get a chance to be there again. But I still will be in Tokyo, Japan, July 3rd versus Finn Balor, July 4th versus uh, Neville, 
Then the 10th, Philadelphia, the 11th, Pittsburgh, and so many other dates are coming up. It's a handful of shows, but I'm excited to come back and hang out with you guys. And I was excited to spread the word about Axel Rotten. Remember, youcaring.com slash Axel Rotten. Let's help out Axel, man. He needs some money to help him get out of that wheelchair and help walk again. I donated, and I challenge all of you to donate as well, okay? If you like this show, if you got a couple extra bucks, if you ever watched ECW or just appreciate the wrestling business, Axel is a true warrior. He needs our help. Let's give him some, okay? Uh, besides that, some Fozzie shows coming up still. June 25th, Valair Ballroom in Des Moines. June 26th, Hard Rock Ca- uh, Hotel, Sioux City, Iowa. July 24th in Kitchener, Ontario. 8th is Festival of Friends in Ontario. 9th, Heavy Montreal, Montreal. Then October 30th, we hit the Kiss Cruise. Then the Cinderblock Party World Tour continues in the UK and Europe starting November 14th in Germany with uh, out, uh, with uh, Nonpoint and Sumo Psycho from Canada. So many cool dates. Go to FozzyRock.com for all that information. All the VIP information you don't want to miss out. Oh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for checking out my supporters, uh, my advertisers, my sponsors. Coios, FX uh, Network, Dollar Shave Club, True Card, DDP Yoga, and of course the sponsor has been there with me since the first ever Talk is Jericho episode, Amazon. Uh, the easiest way to support this show, easiest way to support Andy Biersack, Black Veil Brides, live DVD, Alive and Burning. How about the new Tremonti album, Cauterized? You can pick up all that stuff. Just go to podcastone.com, click on the Support Our Show Sponsors banner at the top of the page, hit the Talk is Jericho button. I got Amazon links for USA, UK, Canada, A. Every time you do that, Amazon kicks back a little cash to the show so we can keep doing this view for free for twice a week. No extra fees or hidden challenges. You just help me out in the process and, uh, and doing some good stuff uh, for, for Amazon. Amazon and for podcast one. So guys, I appreciate it. You know, I love you. Always do my best to bring you the most diverse guests that I can think of. I got a good one for you on, on Wednesday too, man. It's uh, it's actually a really, really cool guy. And I'm very excited to have him on the show. I tracked him down for nine months before I finally got him. And uh, you want a hint to who's going to be here on Wednesday? Well, let me say this. Uh, stop. Collaborate and listen. Ice is back with a brand new invention. Something grabs a hold of me tightly. I don't know if it's daily or nightly. Will it ever stop? Yo, I don't know. Yeah, if you don't know that song, then you are uh, an idiot. <laughs> here on Wednesday. Vanilla Ice. That's right. Word to your mother. Ice, ice, baby. Yeah, 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 boy. Ice, ice, baby. Yeah, 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 boy. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com.